Well, church, I would invite you to turn in your copies of God's Word this morning to 2 Timothy. And of course, we are departing from our usual uh, method of going through a book of the Bible, verse at a time or a section at a time, and we are pausing for four weeks to consider what are four values, Trenton values as we're calling them, what are four values that the Lord desires our church to be built around? Last week we spoke about being gospel-centered. What does it mean to have a, a God-centered gospel at the, at the center of everything that we do as a church? So that the, the gospel and, and our entrance into God's kingdom is, is less this kind of affiliation that we think that we kind of buy into. And it's more a work of God that he does in our hearts. And that creates a worshipful uh, attitude among us as we see that, that the work that God has done in our heart is a work of him. And it's not a work of us. And today we're looking to what it means to be a word-focused church. 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4 we will draw from. But to begin, I want to read a piece of a book that the deacons and I are going through as we seek to sharpen one another and to, and to get our hands around ourselves. What does it mean to be a healthy church? This is how uh, Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Washington, D.C., this is how he began a sermon one day. He said this, So, how's it going? Did you get enough sleep last night? Did you have trouble finding a good parking place this morning? Were the doors clearly marked? Did the people welcome you as you were coming in? Did the building seem nice and neat? I wonder, did the church's name make it more difficult for you to decide whether to come in? Or, or maybe that was part of the reason why you did decide to come in. And when you came in, were the people friendly and welcoming? Any trouble dropping the kids off? And what do you think about the stained glass? I know I have the best view of it from here, but it really is pretty, isn't it? And then again, maybe it's too traditional for you. Are the pews comfortable? Do you have a good view of all the activities from where you're sitting? Can you see clearly? Can you hear okay? Is it warm enough for you right now, or are you too warm? And of course, there's the music. You know, for some people it might be too contemporary or too traditional, classical or modern, liturgical or more informal. As with every other church in America this morning, there are probably some people who have come to this church in the past who are this morning out there looking for other churches because they would like a different musical experience. And, you know, there are probably some of you who are still here because of the musical experience. And he says this, and now, of course, well, you know what's coming now. Maybe it's already begun. The sermon. For some people, this is what you have to wait through to get to the, the good bit. Perhaps uh, more singing or or more meeting and talking with people afterwards or considering the, the ball game. The preacher does have a difficult job, doesn't he? He has to be someone you feel like you could relate to and, and talk with and let your hair down with and, and trust in some measure. But he needs to seem holy too, but not too holy. He needs to be knowledgeable, but not too knowledgeable. He needs to be confident, but not too confident. He needs to be compassionate, but not too compassionate. And his sermons need to be good enough, relevant enough, entertaining and engaging enough, and certainly short enough. There is so much to consider when you're evaluating a church, isn't there? Have you ever really stopped to think about it? There are so many different things to think of, and as, as much as Americans move these days, we, we have to evaluate churches. It happens all the time. But we have to ask ourselves, what makes a really good church? 
Friends, there are so many things that, as a church, we, we can get wrong, at least in the eyes of other people, aren't there? There's so many preferences, opinions, and traditions that you can transgress or you can just simply fail to acknowledge. And I feel this as a pastor, particularly a new one. You know, I've heard a, a professor in seminary one time said, if you're going to offend anyone, make sure you do it on purpose. Right? Don't do it by accident. And, and you know, I'm, I never know if there might be a tradition or, or something that I might not be aware of or I might forget or I might overlook. For some, our, our church might be too traditional or, or, or there might be churches who are too contemporary. Some churches might be too heavy on thinking. Some might be too heavy on feeling. But the reality is all of this is beside the point. And the point is this. How does God build his church? What means does God use to bring spiritual life? What means does God use to make people alive and to grow believers and to protect them and to make their church healthy? Is it a mere sense of community? Surely that's important. That would be a nice thing to have. Is it a feeling of welcoming? Well, that would also be a good goal to pursue. Is it a certain list of activities or programs? Does that build the church. Friends, I think if we look to the scriptures, we will see a particular pattern. And that pattern is this, that God builds his people and he builds his church by his word. The word of God does the work of God. And if this is the case, there are plenty of things that we can get wrong or do imperfectly. There are plenty of ways we might disappoint people. But this is one area that needs to remain central. And that is that the Word of God must be our foundation. The Word of God must be central. It's the Word of God that convicts consciences and calls sinners to salvation. It's the Word of God that corrects believers when they go wrong. It's the Word of God that unites the church. It, it, it's, it's our source of, it's our central point that we gather around as we pursue the missio Dei, the mission of God. It's what unifies us as a people. So, where do we see this taught in the scriptures? And this is why I've asked you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we will read, uh, first of all, verses 14 and 15. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. After Paul has been telling Timothy to, to watch out for a number of different kinds of people. People who are lovers of money, arrogant, abusive, unholy, without self-control, treacherous. Lovers of pleasure, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He tells them of all these traps that you can run into. Then he says this, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So it's not just about ideas. It's about the knowledge of a person, Jesus Christ. All of the truths of the Bible point to him. He says, so, so continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's the scriptures. It's the word of God that is able to do the work of creating spiritual life. It's not the arm twisting or the eloquence of some preacher. It's the word of God that convicts hearts and that brings about Change, Friends, this is, this is incredibly important because we saw last week how great our need is. We don't have some small bridge to gap. 
here. We have a very serious problem related to our brokenness, related to our Genesis 3 condition. The Bible says, of course, that there is no one who is even seeking after God. So what possible power, what possible power could break down this hardness of heart, could break and thaw this cold, stone-like heart and replace it with a heart of flesh? Friends, it is only the Word of God. That is all we have to offer. The Bible says no one is righteous, no one understands, no one seeks for God. But God, our hope is in this, is that God is coming after us in God opening the eyes of our hearts. But how does the Bible say this happens? Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I would also direct you, um, you could write this down maybe in the margin or flip there really quickly. Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says this of the Word of God. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. This is talking about how the Word of God has this ability, this unique ability to cut to the quick, to get down to the deepest parts of us, to examine and exegete our very souls and to tell us what it is that we need. To the, piercing to the division of spirit and soul, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friends, we can fool people. We can put on a good act before other people. But the Lord knows the heart. This is incredibly important because our deepest problem is a heart problem. The word of is spoken here as being sharp, able to pierce, able to divide, able to get to the root of the matter, able even to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our minds. Here's where things get down to brass tacks. Because our need is a heart need, because our problem is a problem, is a condition, is a cancer of the heart, then we need some kind of otherworldly power to break down our hard and, and deadened souls and our, and our wills that have been turned away from God. Jeremiah 17.3 says that our hearts are desperately sick. Romans 3 says no one is even looking for God. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Word of God, the Word of God is spoken of as being able to diagnose and correct and to provide the proper therapeutic to our heart condition. It's the Word of God that brings the message of the Gospel. So friends, if we are going to be a church, if we are going to be a church that sees renewal inside our walls, that sees revival outside of our walls, that sees health in our families, restoration among us, we will need to be a church that puts the thing that has the power always at the center the thing that has the power always has to be at the center. This is why we will, we will prioritize the Word of God in our kids' ministry. Why? Because they need to hear the Word of God even when we don't think they can understand what it says. They need to hear it from the earliest stages of their development. We prioritize the Word of God in our student ministry because they need, to, they need the words of God to navigate the perilous road that they're walking now. We prioritize the Word of God in our men's and women's ministry. Why? Because this is what's able to make us wise into salvation. It's what's able to correct us and to protect us. 
As we seek to follow Christ through all of the different seasons and stages of life. And we will prioritize it here from this pulpit in our music. And I pray in every home and every family ministry that is represented in this building today. Why? Because it's only the word of God that can do the work of God. Romans 10, 14 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Without someone telling them? Do we see a picture of this in the, gospel, in the Bible? Do we see a picture of God's word doing the work? We're tempted to put the emphasis on us and our work and our efforts, but do we see a picture in in the Word of God, in the Old or New Testament of, of how this happens. And of course we do in Ezekiel chapter 37. I know that I've mentioned this previously perhaps on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, but it's powerful enough that it bears repeating. It says this in Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Of course Ezekiel has this kind of vision. And he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So what do, what do bones represent? It's something dead. It's where life used to be. There, there's no life now. And he even takes the extra step of saying not only were these bones scattered across the valley, not only were they dead, they were very dry. In other words, there was no hope at all. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. It's God acting in a, in a one-way effort. I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And, and I will lay sinews upon you, and, and cause flesh to, to come upon you, and, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and, and skin had, had covered them, and, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Friends, what hope do we have? What hope do we have that when someone enters these doors, their hearts are cold, their hearts are hard, they're turned away from God, they are in an Ephesians 2 situation, perhaps even someone today is in this condition. What hope do we have that that person will pass from death to life? It's not moral uh, cleaning up of their house that will make them acceptable to God. It's not putting on a good show that will make them acceptable to God. It's the Word of God convicting their heart, calling them out from death to life opening the eyes of their heart, and then they turn and repent and believe for the glory of God. And only the Word of God can do it. So that's why we put the Word of God at the center of what we do. Because God's Word is enough, because it is sufficient, 
We don't put, we don't put emphasis on salesmanship or, or arm twisting or emotionalism or sentimentality. You know, traditional churches and contemporary churches struggle with this. Maybe perhaps more traditional churches want to, to do things that will remind people of what it was like 50 or 80 years ago. And, and somehow this sentimentality, this, this feeling of, of the good old days somehow does some kind of spiritual good. Well, that's not it. And then contemporary churches do the same thing. You go into their, some of their uh, congregations and they turn the lights down really low and the, and the AC is down really low. So you get the goosebumps on your arms and then the, the fog machines start and they create this experience and the lights start. Start to flash and, and things start to happen. And, and the reality is neither one of these things is good enough. The only thing that can cause life change is the Word of God. Not an environment, not an experience, not emotion, not sentimentality, not salesmanship, not arm twisting, but the power of God through His Word. And so, friends, this is our only rock. This is our only hope. This is our only place of confidence. The only source of of life being brought out of death. So the Word of God creates God's, God's people. Secondly, the Word of God reforms God's people. Listen to the words of 2 Timothy 3 again, but the next couple of verses, verses 16 and 17. The Word of God reforms God's people. Not only does it create God's people, it, it reforms them. It says this in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's it's, it's almost like it's, it's a part of who he is, breathed out. It's not a product of him, but it's, it's a part of his character. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, or the person of God, may be competent, equipped for every good work. So not only does the word of God create life... The Word of God sustains life, and it causes us to be made more like Jesus over the course of our lives. We don't simply use the gospel as... The gospel is not just shorthand for the plan of salvation. The gospel is a whole beginning to end of life message of how we come to know Jesus in every stage of life. And for those of us who are believers, friends, we need the gospel today just as much as we did the first day that we believe. Why? Because not only does the gospel make us alive, the gospel keeps us in the hand of Jesus by reforming us, by making us more like his son. I want to tell you a story. It's a story of a friend of mine, uh, a young lady in high school and in college. She was a member at our church. We grew up in youth group together. Um, she, she was a good friend, but one time she told the story. I think she was interested in a young man that went to another church. She always grew up in our church. It was a Baptist church. And, of course, we Baptists, we, we're people of the book, right? We, we love that about ourselves, and, and rightly so. But perhaps there are times we need to be more genuinely about the Word. That We need to be as much lovers of the Word as we say that we are. But we're people of the book. She went to another church of another denomination that I'm, I'm not going to get into what, what denomination that was. But that denomination is continuing to go down the trajectory that they were on back in those days. And uh, she walked into the youth group of this young man that she was interested in. She, they walked into the youth room. And this church had a youth pastor. And uh, she didn't make it about three or four steps into the, the youth room of this church. And the youth pastor came up and started giving her a hard time. And he said, you must be a Baptist. And she said, yeah, well, I, I am. Why do you say that? And he said, because you brought your Bible. It's worth remembering, friends, that the Reformation was a movement of returning to the Word of God. And today, 
Just as every time in history, if we are going to be made more like Jesus, it will be through our always returning, semper reformanda, always reforming, always returning back to the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God knows our needs, and our needs extend even beyond salvation. Listen to Galatians 3.3. It says this, Are you so foolish? Of course, Paul laying into the Galatians here, laying it on quite thick. He says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you think that you needed God's grace to save you, but you think that you're using your own strength now to make yourself a good person. So having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by your own efforts? He says, no, the only thing, the only thing that makes us more like Jesus is God's grace mediated through His Word. If all God came to do, friends, was give us this plan of salvation and then leave us in the dark, friends, we don't have everything that we need. We would be in quite a fix. But He has granted to us all things, the Bible says in 2 Peter, all things that pertain to life and godliness. And He's done it through the Word of God. And friends, we're not a perfect church. The Lord needs to do some work. How do I know that? Because I know the Lord needs to do some work in my own heart. And I'm part of the church. So the Lord needs to do work in our church. Probably needs to start right here. But do you know what a church is? It's a group of sinners that God has brought together in order that He might use each of them to make each of them more like Jesus. That's what a church is. God intends to use you to edify and to sanctify your brother and sister, to push them toward Jesus, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive them and to ask for forgiveness. He's put you here in the, in the presence of your brother and sister in Christ in order that he might use you to make you more like Jesus and to make them more like Jesus. The purpose of church, in a word, is just like the purpose of marriage, to sanctify you. That marriage is not for your happiness. It's for your holiness. In the same way, church and a church membership and a church activity is not for your happiness. It's for your holiness. So when you come to church, you'll get pushed toward Jesus. You'll, you'll have folks around who will desire to bear your burdens. You'll get encouraged. You'll get sharpened. You'll also get sinned against. And you'll probably sin against others. But it's all not wasted. None of it is wasted. Why? Because God intends to use it to sharpen you and to make you more like Jesus through the, the rubbing up against other sinners. So whatever it is that our church needs, and perhaps you have opinions, perhaps I have opinions, but whatever it is that our church most needs, the Word of God is able to do. So we place our confidence there. We place our confidence in the uplifting and the exaltation of God's words preached, God's words believed, recited, hidden in the hearts of every person who is a part of our fellowship. Is there a picture of this? I've tried to do this with the first one, that God's word creates God's people. We looked at Ezekiel 37. Is there a picture of this, that God's word reforms God's people? Is, do we see this anywhere in the Bible? 2 Kings chapter 22. Another one that I've mentioned before, but it bears repeating. Remember the King Josiah, he came to, to be king at a very young age as a child. But it says in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord. In other words, he tells him, go down into the treasury of the temple and count all the money, he says. Find all the money and count it up. 
and let it be given into the hand of the workmen that have oversight. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, Behold, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, uh, your, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen just, just like you said. And then he told him, uh, Hilkiah the priest, has, uh, he, he's given me a book. In other words, we went down into the treasure. We found all the money you were looking for, but we also found something else. We found this book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. This act of repentance. This act of God has convicted my heart. He tears his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the, the king's servant. He says, go inquire of the Lord for me. He says, go talk to God and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words that that have been found in this book. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed this word and have not, uh, and, and have not uh, done according to all that is written in it. In other words, the people of God rediscover the word of God and the word of God does the work of God inside them. They repent, they turn, they become more like the God that they follow. The Word of God creates God's people. The Word of God reforms God's people. And lastly, the Word of God protects God's people. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first five verses. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and of the dead, and by His appearing to His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. But as for you, be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. In other words, friends, there are all kinds of dangers around us from ideas that desire to get a market share or a wallet share of your brain and of your heart. And the only way to be protected against those things, the creations of our own hearts. One of the reformers said that the, the human heart is a factory of idols. The only way to be protected from the, the false creations of our own hearts and the allures of everything that is coming from the culture is to be so grounded in the Word of God that when the world squeezes us, Bible comes out. It says this, reprove, rebuke, exhort. These are words meant for the church. In other words, you wouldn't reprove, you wouldn't rebuke someone who doesn't already claim to be a believer. You wouldn't exhort them. This language assumes that we are talking about people who already name the name of Christ. They already claim His name. It assumes also that we as a people will need correction. It assumes that we'll need correction. Friends, we are fallible. We are often led astray. Even those of us who are believers, we need the correction and the protection of the Bible. Minister to our life. It says it here. The Word of God is useful for this, for, for teaching, for correcting, for training in godliness. 
In a word, the word of God not only creates the people of God, it not only reforms the people of God, but it protects them. Why? Because there is a time coming, and I would say it is already here. It has always been here. When people will not endure sound teaching, they won't desire it. They won't have any time for it. But having itching ears, they will gather, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, they will go look for somebody who will tell them what they already want to hear. And they will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. The church needs to be protected from false doctrine. And most of the most dangerous doctrines and fads and beliefs around us, friends, gain so much traction because they're so popular. They seem right to us because of the pot that we've been boiled in as a, as a culture. But Philippians 4 9 reminds us, whatever is true, think on these things. And Colossians 2 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by vain philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The question we need to ask ourselves, friends, how thick is our Bible? How thick is our Bible? I'm not talking about the one that you brought in with you today. Mine's somewhat thin. Some of you may have even bought one of those. It's called a thin line. I'm not talking about the physical thickness. I'm talking about how much of it has been hidden in your heart. If the only Bible that you have is the one that you can call to mind, how thick is it? How thick is your Bible? It needs to be thick, friends, because it is the only thing that can protect the Word of God, that can protect the people of God, is the Word of God. We need to be protected from the creation of our own hearts. Many people emphasize the Holy Spirit's leading, and, and that's all well and good. But, friends, our hearts are so fallen, and our hearts lead us astray so easily. How do we know if it's the Holy Spirit leading us to think something or to do something? How do we know it's not the creation of our own heart? Well, the reality is we test it. We test the spirits. We test it against the Word of God. Do you know that there's even an incredibly popular devotional book now that describes the author's devotions that, that are written down in this devotional book as the very words of God that God told the author to write down. And the author received these words from God, wrote them down in this devotional book in the first person as if she's speaking on behalf of God. Incredibly odd, incredibly bold, but a bestseller. Friends, the reality is, how do we know what God's will is? We don't, we don't have to feel God out. We don't have to go and seek more. We have enough already through the Word of God. It says this in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So in other words, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to teach you something new and novel so that you can look like you've discovered something grand. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is just to remind you of what's already here, to bring to mind the proper things at the proper time. And then lastly, the Word of God unites the church under the one true faith. Ephesians 4 says this, But there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. And then, of course, Jude says, Contend for the faith, the faith, that was once for all delivered 
to the saints. So friends, in order to see God create people, in order to watch God create His people and to cause people to pass from death to life, in order to allow God to reform us as a church, and in order to be protected from the enemy, we need to be a word-focused church. By the grace of God, I will do everything that's possibly in my power to lead us in that direction. And I would pray this morning that you would follow that kind of, of direction toward the centrality of focus on the Word of God alone because it is our only source of truth. We pray these things. We ask these things together as we pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for causing us to uh, come to know the truth of your gospel. Thank you for making the Word of God alive in our hearts. Thank you for what uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask today that we would be a church that is always reforming, that is semper reformanda, always returning to the Word of God, looking to it to see what it is that we might be able to uh, to, to correct in ourselves, to, to reform, and Lord, also, so that we can take this Word of God. I pray we would have thick Bibles, Bibles hidden in our hearts, so that we can take this message to others, so that they too can hear and believe, and so that you can create your people, you can reform your people, and you can protect them. Lord, we ask, we have found this rock. We ask that you would give us the, the grace to stand upon it firmly in the days to come. Create your people, reform your people, protect us By the power of your word, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.